Hello, my name is Professor Jen Snowball and the topic today is aggregate demand in the very short run, which relates to a very famous model in economics called the Keynesian cross. Now we know that building models in economics is an important tool that we use to understand the economy. And we also know that models are not exactly a representation of reality. So a famous saying, all models are wrong, but some are useful. So we want to use models to explain and to predict what's going to happen next. So models are always a simplified version of reality. And by making them more realistic, we can make them more accurate. But even though they are simplified, they can help us to understand things much better than we could without them. Economic models are used to explain and predict economic variables. And one of the most famous and useful models is the Keynesian model. And this explains the relationship between spending and output, which we can also call real GDP. Who was John Maynard Keynes? He was born in the UK in 1883. His father was an economist and a philosopher, two things that went together often, um, much more often than now. And his mother was the town's first woman mayor. He was most famous for his book called The General Theory of Employment, Interest and Money, which was written in 1936. He develops a demand-side theory that argued for counter-cyclical government spending. And this was a radical departure from what had gone before um, because he talked about um, how it wasn't just the supply side of the economy, which was very much the classical model, so that was looking at factors of production, but it also mattered um, about spending. Okay. He also published a book called The Economic Consequences of Peace, um, which made him internationally famous. In 1999, Time magazine listed him as one of the most influential people because his policies were used in the US and the UK. Um, to deal with a, a mini-recession that was happening at the time. In 2008 and 9, he became famous again around what was called the Great Recession uh, when there was the financial crisis which caused the economy to um, to the economies of many countries to go into recession um, because he talked about how governments in particular could use their spending to boost economic growth. Just in case you're thinking Keynes was a boring economist, he wasn't. He had a very interesting personal life. He was married to a Russian ballerina, and he fought a lot for women's rights, especially in the labor market. He loved the arts, and he was a member of the Bloomsbury Group, which also included Virginia Woolf, and he thought that the purpose of work was to provide leisure. So every time he had uh, enough money, he would tend to disappear from the work scene for a while until he needed to work again in order to employ some more. In order to understand Keynes's models, we need to think about how GDP is calculated from the expenditure side. If you think back to the sections on national income accounting that you may have done, you know that spending is divided into a number of different categories, which are listed here. Consumption is the spending by households on goods and services, and we're going to use C to stand for consumption. Gross investment is the spending on machinery, equipment, tools, construction, inventories, and so on. And it's gross investment because it includes depreciation. This is sometimes referred to as capital formation or gross capital formation, depending on which textbook you're reading. 
Government purchases, G, stands for the spending of government on goods and services, and net exports, X minus M, means the value of all the goods that your country exports minus the value of all the goods that the country imports. So by adding up these spending categories, we can work out GDP from the spending side. Since GDP can be calculated from income or expenditure, we can say that GDP is equal to C plus I plus G plus X minus M. Now come the simplifying assumptions. This is a very short-run model. So initially, prices are fixed. So the time period is so short that prices can't initially adjust. There are also some autonomous components, so things that in the very short run are difficult to change, even as the economy grows and shrinks or as prices change. So these don't respond to changes in GDP in the very short run. The autonomous components are investment, so that's spending on machinery, equipment, new plants, and, and uh, so on. Uh, government spending, which is quite realistic because government spending generally has to be decided by parliament and then it has to be implemented, so that's more of a long-term process. Exports, okay, because those largely depend on demand for our goods from the rest of the world. And some parts of consumption, kind of a base level of what households need to spend in order to provide for their basic needs, um, like shelter and food. If we think about how we're going to plot what's called the aggregate expenditure function, then this, uh, these autonomous components determine the starting point. There are also some induced components. Now, when something is induced, it means it responds to something else. So these are things that do change as GDP changes, even in the very short run. Part of it, of course, is consumption, a big part of it. So we know that as households have more income to spend, they tend to increase the amount that they can spend on goods and services that they need or that they want. Okay? And the relationship is a positive one. So as the economy grows, households are better off, real GDP increases, so does their spending. This determines the slope of the aggregate expenditure function. Another thing that changes even in the short run are imports, so what we buy from the rest of the world. So we know that what we can afford to buy depends very much on how wealthy the country is. So as GDP rises, so imports also tend to rise. If GDP falls, then we also expect to see a drop in our imports. So together, the um, autonomous, those are the things that don't change as GDP changes, and the induced, so those are the things that do change as GDP change, make up what's called the aggregate expenditure model. Let's consider a little bit equilibrium GDP and something called the Keynesian cross. Equilibrium output is where production is equal to expenditure. The total quantity of goods produced is equal to the total quantity of goods purchased. Okay, so this is not really looking at supply side, so we have got production in there, but we're assuming that it's where planned spending is equal to uh, what has actually been produced. In the graphical analysis that we're going to look at in a moment, um, we can see that there are two components to the Keynesian cross, right? which is why it's called the cross, because these two lines cross or meet. 
The first one is a 45 degree line. So it cuts the 90 degree angle in half and it shows where aggregate expenditure is equal to uh, production or income. Why? Okay, and that's equilibrium all along that line. And then we have the aggregate expenditure function itself. And this is made up, as we've said, of a starting point made up of the autonomous components and a slope, which is made up of the induced components. Equilibrium in the graph is where these two lines cross. So where the 45-degree reference line crosses the actual aggregate expenditure curve. So let's have a look at the very famous Keynesian cross. As you can see, on the vertical axis, we have aggregate expenditure, and on the horizontal axis, we have real GDP. This line here shows you what's called the 45-degree reference line. The reason it's called the 45-degree reference line is because it cuts this 90-degree angle exactly in half. So it shows you a collection of points where aggregate expenditure is equal to real GDP. Here's our actual aggregate expenditure curve for this particular economy. It's made up of all the spending components, consumption, investment, government spending, and net exports. What we can see from the reference line is that at one particular point, aggregate expenditure is equal to real GDP, or what is produced. And that determines the level of output of our economy, in this case, Y0. Now, in an ordinary supply and demand curve uh, model, you have equilibrium, which is a stable point. Okay, So equilibrium really just means there's no shortage, there's no surplus, and so there's no pressure for the economy to move from that point. How does that relate to the Keynesian cross? Now, we, we want to look at positions that are above or below equilibrium and to see, well, what would be the pressure then of the economy to adjust? Keeping in mind, no price change here, right? So it's a very short-term model. What if planned spending is more than what's being produced? Okay, so planned spending is more than what the economy is actually producing. You would expect a shortage in this case, okay? The way that this is signaled to firms is that firms keep inventories, right? So most firms don't produce exactly the amount they think they'll sell. They produce some extra, which they keep in their storeroom, like the picture you can see there. So what happens is that if you're not producing enough to satisfy the demand, then you will start using up your inventories, right? So inventories start to fall. This sends a signal to firms to increase their production until they're producing enough back at Y-star uh, where expenditure equals what's being produced. What if planned spending is less than what's being produced? So planned spending now is not so much, so we can think of this as demand being uh, reduced or less, and production being more. So in this case, there would be a surplus. What happens to that surplus? Well, it starts piling up in your stockroom. So your inventories are going to rise. This sends a signal to firms, produce less, which they do until we are back at equilibrium. Let's use the Keynesian cross now to talk about an example. And the one we're going to have a look at is an increase in investment. Now, many countries 
are very keen to encourage investment. Investment by people who live in the country, domestic investment or international investment. So this article that we're having a look at here is about investment in Nigeria and it says that Nigeria is ranked the 19th most attractive destination in Africa. So why do countries care so much about investment? Well, you'll remember that investment is part of spending. It's an injection component. And what we mean by injection is it means spending into the system. Okay? So it's a positive injection component of aggregate expenditure. So a rise in, in, in investment is going to cause the whole aggregate expenditure curve to shift upwards. And as we'll see, this increase in spending is going to stimulate an increase in output and real GDP. Let's have a look now at what the increase in investment is likely to do to real GDP. What we have here is our original aggregate expenditure curve. So that gave us an output of Y0 of GDP. Since investment is an injection, the increase in investment shifts the aggregate expenditure curve upwards. So the rise in investment causes this parallel upward shift in aggregate expenditure. Since there's more spending in the economy, through inventories, this sends the message to firms, increase your production. And firms will continue to increase their production until their output once again equals their expenditure, in this case at Y1. An interesting thing to note here is that the rise in investment is smaller than the increase in real GDP. This is as a result of the multiplier effect. Now one of the things to remember about the aggregate expenditure model is that it also um, helps us to understand the size of the increase in real GDP as a result of uh, an increase in spending or a decrease in spending. Okay? And this is referred to as the multiplier effect. So what economists noticed is that a change in spending causes a bigger than that change in real GDP okay, because of this multiplier effect, sometimes referred to as the Keynesian multiplier. Why does this happen? Well, it happens because of the re-spending of an initial amount of money in the economy. So we know that if you have a new money coming in, it doesn't just get spent once, it tends to go round and round. Okay? And so the final effect is going to be bigger than the initial effect. Here's an example. Uh, let's take a, a big investment project that's happened in the Eastern Cape. Um, which is the Kucha Industrial Development Zone. So this is started by the government and investment is encouraged and many firms have uh, decided to open their factories in this um, special um, industrial development zone. So the first thing that happens is you get an increase in spending on things like building materials and equipment. But you also need more people to help you build your factory. So there's going to be an increase in employment at that stage and you need them to stay on to help run the, the plant. So there's an increase in employment too. So these are people who before maybe didn't have a job. So they're now earning an income that they didn't get before. And they then can increase their own spending. So the workers then go along and spend their salary 
um, at local shops and service providers. That increases the business of the local sellers, who then might increase their employment by hiring more people. Changes in the multiplier and the um, the size of the final effect on real GDP, um, or changes in Y, sorry, in the size of the effect on, on, on GDP, um, depend on um, the slope of the aggregate expenditure curve. So the size depends on how much of that money stays in the system and is respent and how much of it leaks out, okay? So some components of real GDP are considered as leakages. So we have injections, so that's when there's an increase in spending, and leakages which take money out of the system. What takes money out of the system so that it's not available for spending right now? Well, there are three things. The first one is taxes. So when the workers earn some money, they can't spend all of that because the government taxes their income. So the bigger the tax rate, the smaller the multiplier effect is going to be. Another one is savings, right? So savings is not bad, but it does mean that that money is not going to be spent right now. Later on, savings may translate into investment spending, but at the short run, the very short run moment, it doesn't actually increase your spending. So the higher the savings rate, the smaller is the multiplier. And the final one is imports. And this is because imports are spending on goods and services that are produced in other countries, not in South Africa or whatever the home country is. And so the higher our marginal propensity to import is, the smaller will be the multiplier effect. So altogether, taxes, savings, and imports are counted as leakages from the system. How would we show this graphically? Well, it's to do with the slope of the aggregate expenditure curve, and I encourage you to try this uh, yourself. Draw very steep and very flat aggregate expenditure curves and then shift them upwards by the same amount. What you'll see is that when the slope is steep, then you get a large multiplier effect, okay? And that's because a steep slope is a way of saying there are few leakages from the system. When you draw it with a flatter slope, you'll see that there's a smaller multiplier effect in terms of the increase in real GDP, and this is because there are more leakages from the system. Here's an example of some multipliers in South Africa. So this gives you, uh, taken from the budget review, this here. So this gives you some numbers, and you can interpret them like this. A 1 million rand increase in output in agriculture results in 3.9 unskilled and one skilled job okay, being created, and GDP rising by 1.7 million. So the multiplier uh, for GDP is 1.7. So the way that you work out that last number is you say 1 million times the multiplier, 1.7, is equal to 1.7 million. Okay, so that's how multipliers work, and we still use them to understand the economy. So what does the Keynesian model show us? It's used to show the impact of a rise or a fall in any of the components of aggregate expenditure, consumption, investment, government spending, and net exports, on real GDP in the very short run when prices are fixed. What about the short run and the long run? So the short run is when we look at aggregate demand and short run aggregate supply, 
and prices are allowed to vary. And in the long run, we bring the supply side back in again, so connecting it to the classical model that, that uh, we chatted about in, in earlier podcasts, um, and we put it all together in one particular setup. Watch the next podcast to see how changes in spending impact the economy when prices change too.